In terms of kind of like hiring trends and slower, fast growth, you can also see that these hiring trends and key insight data, which will tell you whether or not the company is fast growing. So that's part of LinkedIn Premium too. And there's others, which I'll talk about later from the other laws. But mm. if you just go to their company profile page, they have this tab called Insights. And it gives you all of this great information on if they're really hiring, what roles are they hiring for? And so that's a really great way to monitor an employer's health. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Gainsight Game Changer Podcast series. I'm Adam Joseph, your host and the Regional VP of Customer Success at Gainsight. So one of the most popular topics brought up over the last couple of series of these podcasts relate to how CSMs can navigate their career. And earlier in the series, we spoke with Rachel Proven, the Director of Customer Success at Doodle, on that topic, but wanted to go even deeper and understand how anyone starting their career in CS or wanting to move away from their current role can be properly equipped to do so. So I'm delighted to say that joining me on this pod is Dana Souza, founder and CEO of her own customer success consulting business, which specializes in coaching, consultancy, and training. She's also developed her own amazing success playbook to help anyone on their employment journey within the customer success space. Dana, a very, very warm welcome to you. Ah, thanks, Adam. I'm really excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast through Pulse Plus's educational platform, and it's just a joy to be a part of it. Thanks. Oh, and it's great having you here. And I was really fascinated, actually, as you and I have got to know each other a little bit, and I've been reading your amazing playbook and some of the other assets like your website and hearing about your backstory and your life. And you describe so eloquently kind of your life in version 1.0 and 2.0. And I can't think of any better place to start the podcast with you telling us in your own words what that was like and a bit about your backstory and a little bio of you personally and professionally would be great. Okay, great. Yeah. Who doesn't like to talk about themselves? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've kind of thought of it as kind of Dana's Life 1.0 and Dana's Life 2.0, which you know, I think you saw on my website. And, mm. you know, when I was a kid, I was really ridiculed mostly through all of high school and junior high. And I even had this Killer Dana Surf Shop sticker that I would put on the back of my car mm. because there was a Killer Dana Surf Shop nearby. I didn't surf or anything like that, but because I lived in California, it was kind of my way to bluff myself and feel the confidence that I needed to make people think I was kind of part of the cool kids group. So it was really kind of an anchor to help generate my self-confidence and really kind of show that I belonged. But, you know, as I had said, it was ridiculed a lot through high school and graduation. So when I finally went to college 10 years later, I wanted to kind of figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. And I love digging into the human psyche. So after 10 years 
you know, like 10 years after high school, I finally gained enough self-confidence and the means to go to college. Mm -hmm. And that's really one of the things that made me feel so passionate about helping others find their career path, whether they're landing into customer success or succeeding, because Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to help them get the information they needed to be a success. And then when I did actually end up going to college, I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in psychology. And I actually really did very well. I got my degree in psychology. I minored in marketing. And Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that path would set me up for a career in customer success because it kind of taught me the psychological drivers and the marketing strategies that can kind of lead to success around customer adoption, retention, expansion, you know, advocacy. But there was kind of this turning point. I had this really catastrophic car accident where this Mack truck T-boned me on this two-lane highway and pushed me across the highway. I suffered from PTSD. I was hospitalized. I was in long-term physical therapy. And my life just kind of blew up. So a friend had said something that I always remember. She said, if my life blew up in smoke and nothing held me back, I'd go. So go teach English abroad just so Mm -hmm. I can live vicariously through you. So I ended up teaching in Madrid, Spain. And that was when I really realized what really lit me up in life was to make a marked difference in other people's lives. You will see my purpose on my website. Sorry, that's Chloe. (laughs) You'll see my purpose on my website. And I talk about it a lot because it took me a long time for me to figure out what my purpose was. But the moment that I figured that out, things really started to click for me. And so that's when, you know, I kind of turned the Dana Life 2.0. All Mm. of a sudden things started to come to me. You know, I had a former customer who reached out to me while I was living in Spain and said, I want you to come back to the States and work for my SaaS platform and customer and be the director of customer success. And I was like, you built a what? What's a SaaS platform? (laughs) And, you know. What is customer success? And the only thing that I remember from the end of that conversation was that he had said, Dana, it's what you've been doing your entire life. So that was really, you know, kind of my Dana 2.0 start. And then through my career in customer success, I had to claw my way up to the top in customer success. And two of the biggest turning points were working for Omacro, which was the very first company I worked for, because it was a startup company with me, the CEO, and a developer, and that was it. And so I needed to learn everything about how to run a business, how to create customer success programs, how to deliver customer experience, but I didn't even know what I was still even doing. And so it wasn't until I started working at Dun & Bradstreet, which is a 200-year-old company, very well-respected presidents have worked there, and they delivered customer success at like the most upper echelon of how customer success should be delivered. And those two things kind of are really what helped my career take off. It's just such a phenomenal backstory. I mean, there's so many things as you were kind of weaving your way through your biography, really, that I can relate to from feelings of insecurity at school and always trying to prove yourself 
sounds like you had a very narrow escape with that car accident and you know that appears to be a real sliding doors moment in your life where you kind of went on a different trajectory and it's incredible and very very inspiring Dana and I think what you've done since and you and I have followed similar patterns funny enough Dun and Bradstreet has been part of our career path where you know you'll run your own consultancy business I was fortunate enough to do that as well and learn a lot from it and so actually you know I find myself kind of just nodding along with what you're saying and how you find yourself in SaaS and, and, and in customer success and kind of moving forward to today and some of the things that you're working on I was really intrigued, actually, with some of the phenomenal work that you've done around helping CSMs on their career path, and particularly around this, you know, how you've mapped these original 10 laws of customer success, which anyone in the profession holds very dear and close to their heart. And for those of you that haven't come across it, the original blue book of of customer success written by Dan Steinman, Nick Mehta, and Linka Murphy, it's probably now... Uh, six or seven years since the publication. And it's amazing how many times I have a Zoom call with someone and I see it sitting there in the background. And I think what was central to that book was the 10 laws of customer success, really the building blocks of customer success. And what I find so interesting is that how you've been able to map those 10 original laws to customer success into what you call employment success. So what gave you the inspiration to do it? What kind of took you to take something so fundamental and core to CS and use them in this new and innovative way? You know, it's one of the same things that I'm preaching to my coaching clients about, which is, you know, we have to think, it's a term overused because it makes sense, you know, to think outside the box of how it is that you're going to get an employer's attention. And so I was laid off because of COVID. And mm-hmm. I noticed that customer success jobs that once had maybe 20 to 50 applicants max now typically had anywhere from two to 500 applicants for every single customer success job. And I knew there was no way that all of those people applying had the same experience I did. So I had to think about, you know, they were obviously kind of spraying and praying. And I had to think really creatively. You know, I love thinking creative strategies and different ways of doing things. That's kind of my jam, you know, strategies and tactics and operationalizing those. And so I thought, well, I've never written a LinkedIn article. And I think that would really get an employer's attention if they're looking at me on LinkedIn and they're surfing around, you know, just seeing my activity and my so-called resume on LinkedIn isn't going to be enough. Like I need to show that I really know my stuff with customer success. And so I just needed a topic and I didn't know where to start. And When I was thinking about these two things, that there's so much competition now for to get a job in customer success and how much I knew about customer success, I wondered how I might be able to match those two things up. So I basically took about four or five hours and I thought, you know, I have all of these different CS principles and all these customer success books. I have a whole bookshelf of them. I'm old school with the actual books on my shelf. Me too. (laughs) <laughs> and so I just started pulling books off the shelf and I thought, how can I use the knowledge that's in here to help me stand out as an applicant while also helping those people who are trying to find a job as well? Because my life's purpose is to make a marked difference in other people's lives. So I knew helping them, those people that are new to the role, 
would make me feel good while also helping me stand out that I knew my stuff. So I actually took the first one was the the Gainsight Blue Book, as it's so lovingly referred to. And I saw the first law, which was to sell to the right customer. And I thought, you know, the same could be said about pursuing the right employer. So I thought, gosh, this is kind of interesting. And I noticed that that matched up. So then I spent, as I said, the next four or five hours looking at all of their 10 laws and determining, can I make that match what you would do in an actual job search? And I could. Well, it's incredible. I think one of the things we'll do, we'll provide a link, if that's okay, to the ebook. It's fascinating reading. So with your permission, Dana, what we'll do is let's maybe quickly go through each one and maybe just give a a top-level intro to it. And maybe if I can ask one or two questions around it, because I'm really intrigued with what you've done here. So as you say, let's start off with the original in the blue book, the, the first original law was selling to the right customer. And your version in employment success is all around pursuing the right employer. So I guess the word right is somewhat subjective. So how would you describe what the right employer is? And how would someone, CSM, who's applying for a role, and, and there are so many out there that at the moment, how would they even know if the things like the company, the culture, the role, the technology, the products is right for them? Yeah, so there's a, a couple of exercises. There's actually a Price Waterhouse Coopers resource out there on creating your own personal brand. And it has this full questionnaire to determine what your strengths and weaknesses are, your purpose, values, passions. So you've got to start there to know what's important to you. Then I created this kind of weighted decision matrix. And you can find similar things online for free. And I basically organized all the top kind of job categories, like the work of customer success, financial benefits, culture, people values, the company, the product. And then I had variables under each of those. So, you know, you highlight the top four to six of those things that you think are most important to you and then assign a weight to them. So out of those six, which ones are the most important And it has to match 100%. So then -hmm. you can really start to whittle down what's most important to you in a company. And that will allow you to then start doing the research to find those companies that match what's important to you. Interesting. Okay. Let's move on to the second one, which is all around the, in the original blue book, it was about the natural tendency was for customers and vendors to drift apart. But in this methodology, it's for the employer and employee to drift apart. I mean, obviously, there's always a degree because whenever you start any relationship, be it personal or professional, you start off in one place and no one ever stays there forever. So how do you make sure as an employee when you're joining a company that you are seen to be irreplaceable and, you know, at the top of what you're doing? And should change that change be embraced? And how can you try and predict when that change is coming along? And you're speaking about uh, kind of that natural tendency of employer and employee to drift apart. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I would say you can become irreplaceable and also be part of the change. So for those trying to land a customer success job, the best way that they can do that, there's many, but one of them is to really stay tapped into the CS community because it's changing so rapidly. So that's a way for you to stay close to the heart of customer success and how that's changing and use that in interviews. For those that are actually in a customer success job, you can be part of any kind of change 
within the organization to make sure that you stay aligned to your employer by, as an example, being willing to follow new protocols. So if they're saying from now on, you're required to enter all the details of your QBR into the notes section of our CRM, then do it without your boss having to hound you. And then you'll become an asset to your boss instead of a liability who's always having to nag you to follow any kind of uh, new protocol, just as an example. Yeah, I mean, just going back to something you said earlier, Dana, around staying connected to the community and doing your research from someone who's probably interviewed thousands and hired hundreds of CSMs over my career. The ones that really stand apart is that you can clear has taken the time to really think about the role, think about what's expected of them, and they're able to kind of quote references and to show they've done their due diligence. It's amazing how many people don't, they just kind of rock up and expect to kind of wing it. And it's really evident when they do. So I think it's a great point you make. And then the next one is all around, you know, how you can make your employer wildly successful. And this comes from the customer success law about customers expect you to make them wildly successful. And the one here is about employers expect you to make them wildly successful. But how would you find out the why? So when a role is created, clearly there's a need for that role. They're not just doing it because they fancy it. There's clearly needed to be have a, a business case be made and a very specific purpose for the role. But when you're trying to go for the job, how can you understand the why behind why the role exists? rather than what it's just there to do? Yeah, that's a really great question. So when you're looking, the job description is one of the greatest places. So, and I actually have some more tips on this topic in a different light further down in the laws. But for this one, I would say you want to look at the job description, look for keywords on how they're describing the role. So if there are words like growth and upsell a lot, then you're most likely a CSM who is focused on upselling and, you know, you've got a little bit of a salesperson role. An account manager under a different name. What's that? An account manager under a different name just called it. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And then if there's descriptions like cross-collaboration or enterprise software or um, overseeing integrations, then you're probably going to be more of a value-driven CSM. So there's kind of all these different keywords. And, you know, they'll get a sense for when they're reading through more job descriptions as to what it is that that company is really looking for you as a CSM to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if we're talking, you know, about those actually in the job, you can actually look at your comp plan to understand the why behind why your role exists. So Mm -hmm. if your comp plan is all revenue-based with NRR, GRR, ARR, then again, you're probably more of a CSM that's focused on sales, like, you know, account manager wrapped in a CSM title. And if it's kind of a cross between, if your comp plan is a cross between MPS scores or an MBO project or, you know, a certain amount of trainings, then you might be more of, you know, QBRs, then you're probably more of a value-driven CSM at, you know, a more mature organization, things like that. I've always recommended, actually, if a CSM is really trying to empathize with their customer and really understand what it's like to be in their shoes, the tip that you just made about reading a, a job description, understand what their role is, what success looks like in their role can be huge. And they're typically freely available on their website or go to resources such as LinkedIn or Glassdoor. And it's amazing how much you can learn about 
what you know why your customer is using your software and what's really going to drive their success and what's going to make them sit up in their chair and take attention of what you're saying if you can build that around them rather than build it around you and the job descriptions are such a rich source for that then don't just let them sit there take the time even if it's just two minutes just go and read a job description it they're like just gold just sitting there for you to use as a csm yeah. And there it really is just education. Even if you don't apply, just reading the job descriptions, as you said, is a wealth of information on how customer success mm. can and should be delivered. So let's move on to the next one around relentlessly monitor employer health as opposed to your customer's health. But Obviously, if they're a public company, I guess it's a little easier to try and track how they're doing. But sometimes it can be difficult to understand how you can monitor a potential employer's health. What what kind of resources do you think might help here? Um, You know, and I like to speak both from those trying to find a job and those in the job. So for those trying to find the job, I would say they absolutely should get LinkedIn Premium because Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn Premium, it has this kind of job matching feature. So it takes basically the skills and education, your location, certain keywords from your LinkedIn profile and matches them, benchmarks them against other applicants for that job and shows you what your percentage of kind of almost getting that job would be. And the goal is to be able to get that top 10% applicant for those jobs. And if you're not a top 10% applicant, then you want to continue to revamp your profile until you are. And then in terms of kind of like hiring trends and slower, fast growth, you can also see that these hiring trends and key insight data, which will tell you whether or not the company is fast growing. So that's part of LinkedIn premium too. And there's others, which I'll talk about later from the other laws. But Mm -hmm. if you just go to their company profile page, they have this tab called insights, and it gives you all of this great information on if they're really hiring, what roles are they hiring for? And so that's a really great way to monitor an employer's health, along with some other stuff that we'll kind of talk about a little later too. Yeah. And the next story is something that's, I think, come up a lot, which is around how you can scale effectively. Obviously, if you're a CSM in a role, you might use personal relationships a lot. But typically, once you get an account base of customers that go beyond 20, 30, 40, it's very difficult and you need to think a way of scaling it. And as you relate to that to employment law and around building loyalty, how best can you... We spoke about earlier some of the ways of networking within CS. So what would you recommend there in terms of rather than having to pick up the phone or meet everyone for coffee, but what kind of ways can CSMs really understand what's going on in the world of customer success? Yeah. So I would say webinars are great for education and you need to be doing those on a regular basis because our field is changing at an exponential rate. So unless Mm -hmm. you're doing those on a weekly basis, you're not going to be educated enough. However, The building of loyalty happens in networking CS communities. So, you know, joining groups like Gain, Grow, Retains, Office Hours, where you're actually collaborating with other groups or Gain Sites Pulse Local. I have a Pulse Local OC group here in Orange County. That's where the real networking happens. So that's a really great way to kind of build loyalty through personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Going on to the scalability side, if you're trying to get into the world of customer success, it can seem a bit intimidating because there are so many roles out there and so many of the tips that you've mentioned so far and some of the tools that you've mentioned sound super interesting. But I mean, in some ways, it feels like 
getting into customer success could be a job in its own right. So how can you try and kind of cut through all of the sheer tsunami of, of information to scale effectively and help hone in on what the right role might be for you? Yeah. Okay. So if we're talking about it, when I talk about this idea of you're your own scalable differentiator, that means you should be documenting any kind of programs, projects, ways that you deliver customer success that are uniquely yours and documenting those, you know, checklists and everything that you could imagine to help you deliver Mm -hmm. customer success. And then make sure that you're documenting them so you don't forget them. So like as an example, I had a customer who was going to churn because of their usage and their utilization. It was ridiculously low and they weren't going to renew. So I created this kind of 10 questions that I asked end users to get to the bottom of why this was happening. And it actually resulted in a renewal and a large customer training program. So those are the types of things that if you're creating those that you want to make sure that you're documenting so you can use them again, because you're going to have a job in the way SaaS works in probably the next two to three years, most likely. So you want to remember those. Another was like, I found a way to document the ROI a client received by comparing what their usage would cost if they paid ad hoc for the reports that they pulled versus the subscription that they're paying to secure that renewal. That really helped. When I was at that startup, you know, I developed a guided self-help training program for mid-touch clients. So these are the types of engagements that you want to be able to document while you're on the job so that you can use them and talk about them Mm -hmm. in stories when you're trying to look for a new job. So interesting. I mean, some of the other laws that we kind of that maybe we won't have time to talk about now. I think in terms of helping employers to find you effectively and understanding your employers' metrics, maybe if we kind of combine those two together, because in terms of finding ways for not only you to find potential roles, but employers to find you and understanding how you can build your profile both through things like LinkedIn and other systems and make sure your CV is super relevant so you're not keeping the same version of of that resume or cover letter for everyone. Have you got any tips or advice for people about how they can do that effectively to make sure they stand out and really talk to the kind of points that those employers would be looking for? Yeah. So one thing that they could do is once they've kind of figured out the top 10 jobs that are most important to them, they can Mm -hmm. actually use a tool called worditout.com And they can include all of the description of that job description of all 10 jobs. So basically upload all 10 job descriptions into wordedout.com. It'll tell you the top keywords and how often they're used. So that's a way to be able to like scale your resume so that you are speaking to all of those 10 jobs at once, as opposed to having to revamp your resume over and over again. And then I would say, and on the employer side, even if we're going to be talking about it from the employer side, there's like Source Hub, Textio, Contact Out. These types of tools are automation tools to help it easier to find those potential candidates. And then, you know, there's things like, as I've talked about, kind of that weighted decision matrix to kind of find the barometer of what you consider a healthy employer in your mind and kind of 
find those four to six elements of what's most important to you, give a weight to those, and then always use that to be able to understand whether or not the employer you're working for or the employer that you're thinking about working for is kind of the right the right fit for you. And you can use like Glassdoor, you can use LinkedIn, jobseer.ai is great. That allow It's a, um, a, a Google extension that people that want to find a job in customer success can use to compare their resume on any job site to see how they stack up to potentially being called by that employer for that job. There's some great resources in there. I hope everyone's kind of taken note. I mean, it's just a goldmine of different resources that you provided. And I want to kind of close this off by probably talking about the law that resonates mostly with me. And in my eyes, actually, it should be customer law number one, even though in the original blue book, it's number 10, which is it's a top-down customer success is a top-down company-wide commitment. And in your version, it's a top-down personal professional commitment, which is super interesting. And so I guess my question is, As I referenced earlier, even sometimes setting out on this project, on this journey to find the right kind of role as a CSM in in the industry, but it, it can take a lot of time. And so how can you kind of put in all of this commitment into searching for the right kind of role and building your career when you might be really time poor, both in your personal and maybe in your professional life, you're holding down a job already. How can you live up to this value, this law and still keep your sanity, I guess is my question. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think it's not an either or. I would say if you're currently employed, then this top down personal professional commitment means that you are staying fully engaged in that job. And so one of the best ways to do that, to invigorate your commitment is to remind yourself, hey, I matched this company for those top four to six important elements of what I wanted in a job. And so when things get tough or you feel overwhelmed, you can go back to those to see why you actually chose that company and that will invigorate your commitment and it will motivate and inspire you to contribute in a really valuable way in that job. And you can compare it to a job that didn't light you up to remember how good you have it. And then also while you're on the job, if you're trying to stay really personally committed to your professional development, Another way to do that, as opposed to only doing job searching and that sort of thing, is to kill two birds with one stone. If the company that you work for has networking within your current peers, like if they have Mm -hmm. a woman's group or your CSM group wants to build out a new process together or create a self-help learning and development program, those are all things that you can do to be able to really be personally and professionally committed to that job while you're in it, which is really kind of what I'm speaking to. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, if you're trying to find a job, you have to make sure that you're spending it. I did it too. So I know it's possible. I spent eight to 10 hours a day, as much time (laughs) that I would working my job, doing my job as I did on finding a job. And you need to be able to do that and balance your sanity a little bit. So when you're feeling a little overwhelmed, you know, go for a bike ride or something. <laughs> yeah, I think someone who's just discovered bikes, I can wholly commend that as well. Dana, listen, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure learning more about your backstory, some of the great work that you're doing in coaching and helping people either be more successful in their own roles or helping now that, that future great role for them as well. Thank you for what you're doing and thank you for what you're doing for the industry. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Ah, same here, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. I hope it was beneficial.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to studiopodsf.com.